What is going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Heath. And I'm your other host, Daphne. And you're listening to Going West. Today, we've got a very frustrating and sad case from the 90s, and I was actually lucky enough to interview the victim's sister, Jenny. She is so amazing, and I absolutely love talking to her, and she's so passionate about finding out what happened to her sister. But before we get into that, we want to give some shout-outs to some people who left us awesome reviews this week. So a big shout-out to Scott from Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much to Caitlin from Utah. And another big shout out to Alex from Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to all of our new patrons. So for those of you who don't know about Patreon, it's just $5 a month to subscribe and you get bonus episodes and special content. So for those of you who signed up this week, like Linda, thank you so much. And also a big thanks to Sarah. Heather, thank you. And then we have Holly. Thank you so much. And Karen, you're awesome. Thank you for the donation. And a big shout out to Justin. Justin from Obscure True Crime Podcast. He's an awesome guy. He's kind of been a mentor of mine through this whole process. So thank you so much, Justin. And by the way, if you haven't listened to his podcast, make sure you do. It's really amazing. Obscure True Crime. And if you guys want a shout out on the show, whether it be from Patreon or other, you can go leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And then with Patreon, it's just patreon.com slash goingwestpodcast. And like I said, it's just five bucks a month and it really helps out the show. And make sure if you go over and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts that you leave your name and your location so we can give you a shout out. This is episode 24 of Going West, so let's get into it. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We've got a very different kind of sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show, a podcast you should definitely check out since you're a fan of high-quality, fascinating podcasts hosted by interesting people. The Jordan Harbinger Show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes that you're going to find interesting. Jordan is super charismatic and well-voiced, so I loved listening to his recent episode with Susan Casey called Unraveling Mysteries in the Ocean's Darkest Depths. It was so creepy and interesting, and he goes across every category with other episodes like Romance Twister, My Mister Once Dated My Sister, or his monthly Skeptical Sunday episodes about controversial topics from crystal healing to cannabis to Ouija boards. 
There is something for everyone. We really enjoy this show, and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com slash start for some episode recommendations. Or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A Maryland woman is taking inspiration from an Oscar-winning movie to try to solve the decades-old murder mystery of her twin sister. 23-year-old college student Jody LaCornu was shot outside Baltimore in 1996. Now her sister hopes billboard ads will help find the killer. On a snowy march in 1996, Lakornu went to a bar with some friends after a fight with her boyfriend. Around 4am, she gave someone a ride home, bought more alcohol, and made phone calls from a store parking lot. That whole night was very out of character for her. She never would have done that, gone to sit in a dark parking lot. Did your sister have any enemies? Mm, not that I know of, but I know she was afraid. According to police, a witness at a gas station saw a man in a white BMW approach Lakonu's car. The two spoke, but as Lakonu began to drive away, the suspect shot her through her car's rear passenger window, severing her spine. As long as I'm living and breathing, I will be searching for justice for Jody and looking for her killer. Jody LaCornu was born in Annapolis, Maryland on October 28, 1972. Her father was stationed at the Naval Academy there, so it's where she grew up with her identical twin sister Jenny and their two sisters who were nine and seven years older than them. Naturally, there was that disconnect and the four didn't spend all that much time together. There was that very common sort of resentment upon Jody and Jenny because they were getting more attention from their parents than the older sisters were because they were younger. So Jody and Jenny were extremely close as twins are. I'm actually a twin, so me and Jenny really connected over this when we spoke on the phone. Shout out to Daphne's twin, Chizzy, love ya. <laughs> yes, my sister, Charlotte. We are very close. So I definitely understand that bond between twins, and it's very, very strong. It's like you could be in the worst fight ever, and then 10 seconds later, like, want to go to dinner? It, it's like nothing else. They definitely love to have fun, but they both suffered from anxiety and started to abuse alcohol in their teens, which Jenny says runs in her family. Jody and Jenny were sent to rehab around the age of 17 for drinking, and that's when they were split up. Jenny was sent to a ranch on the West Coast where she met a man on an airplane who was living in California, so she ended up moving there with him while Jody stayed in Maryland. After rehab, around the age of 18, Jody moved to Baltimore with some friends, which is just about 30 miles north of her hometown, and that's where she met her boyfriend Steve. The two eventually moved into a house together and got a dog. Jody's twin Jenny had met Steve a few times because she would go to visit Maryland from California when she could. 
While Jody was living in Baltimore, she started taking classes at Townsend State University, where she was studying gerontology, which for those of you who don't know, is the scientific study of the aging process, whether social, psychological, cognitive, or cultural. So a lot of people with a degree in gerontology go on to become social workers, nursing aides, social scientists, stuff like that. Jody was working as a server at Alonzo's Restaurant, which is an American-style bar and grill, before beginning her job in the office at a large bank called Eastern Savings Bank in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Her coworkers described her as being a sweetheart and one to always keep them laughing. And interestingly enough, they also described her as being extremely cautious about her coworkers and friends' safety as well as her own. They say she always wanted to either be walked to her car or for someone to watch her get into her car after work. And this is something that Jenny also described to me is that her sister was just extremely anxious about everything. And you also have to consider that Baltimore, Maryland is not the safest city to live in. There is a lot of crime, and in no way am I trying to hate on Baltimore. I'm sure it's a beautiful city, but just being in any big city would be scary like that. I think you looked this up today. It's like the number, what, most dangerous city in the U.S.? Do you remember? Oh, God, I can't remember. I think it might have been like, uh, I think like 11 or 12 on the list. So it's up there. So, like we mentioned, Jody was living with her boyfriend Steve in early 1996. They both struggled with drinking and often fought over this, especially when Jody would go out to the bars because that wasn't Steve's thing. He mostly liked to hang out and drink at home. On the night of Thursday, February 29th, 1996, Jody went out to a bar and ended up getting into an argument with Steve over it the next morning. It was Friday, March 1st, and Steve was mad at Jody for her drinking. So at the end of the fight, right as they were leaving to go their separate ways to work, he told her not to come home that night. So by the way, at this point, Jody is 23 years old, and that morning she went to her job at the bank and spent the day there, but it's unclear what she did afterwards. Did she go home or stay out? We don't know at this point. What we do know is that she eventually ended up at the Mount Washington Tavern in Baltimore, which was one of her favorite bars that was only a couple miles away from her house. She was friends with a lot of the employees there, so she enjoyed going there for drinks and spending time with them. And the bar closed at 2 a.m., so at that point, the bar manager, who she was also friends with, asked her if she could drive one of his employees home because he couldn't drive. The employee couldn't drive. The employee was mentally handicapped in some way, and it's believed that he was the janitor. Jody said yes and got in her car alone with the employee. Many say that this is pretty uncharacteristic of Jody. Although Jody was incredibly kind and caring, and she would do just about anything for anyone, it was very late at night, and she didn't know this male employee. But she did end up dropping him off at his house. So it's unclear, but many say that Jody went to an ATM to withdraw cash before picking up a six-pack of beer. After this, she drove to a parking lot that was only about two minutes away from her house, and she sat in the parking lot. At this point, it's probably a little bit after 3 a.m. Jody made at least two calls from her car phone, one to Mount Washington Bar, where she asked to speak with the manager, but an employee said he was busy. The second call was made to her former roommate's boyfriend. They talked for about two and a half minutes. It's unknown what time these calls were made. At 3.41 a.m., Jody still sat in the empty parking lot by herself 
which her friends and family also say is incredibly unlike her. She was terrified of Baltimore and mentioned to her sister Jenny that she was afraid of getting shot there. It's very strange to her loved ones that she would be sitting in this dark lot alone, especially because it was cold and snowy that night. Suddenly, a white BMW pulled up to her white Honda Civic. He started talking to Jody through her rolled-down window. He was a stocky black male wearing a green camouflage jacket and looked to be around 20 to 30 years old and weighing about 200 pounds. Apparently, after a short exchange, the man started walking back to his car before turning around again and firing a single shot into Jody's car, breaking her rear window, going through her driver's seat, and hitting her in the back. Jody was then able to drive across the street and into the parking lot of a grocery store where she circled before hitting a curb. The shooter watched this entire thing happen before getting into his car and driving across the street and up to Jody's car. The man got out of his car, reached through the window, possibly put her car in park, and then took something out of her car. He then got back into his car and drove away. A delivery crew saw this horrific incident unfold and ran to her car to see if they could save her life. They explained the entire scene to police, and so did some of the witnesses from a 24-hour gas station, and when police checked Jody's car, they noticed her phone and purse were missing. Jody's funeral was held at the Naval Academy Chapel on March 6, 1996, which is where her parents had been married. Her eulogy was given by Jody's dad's best man and Naval Academy classmate, and Jody's twin sister Jenny also spoke, saying, Jody was my twin sister and best friend. When she died, I feel like half of me died too. At this point, many believed it was a robbery gone wrong, but no one could quite fit the puzzle pieces together. Jenny ended up moving back to Maryland with her parents and split up with her fiancé in California at the time. There were always friends and neighbors and family around the house after Jody passed, which Jenny said was very comforting, but Jody's death was absolutely unbearable for the whole family. Jenny actually told me that when she did end up meeting her now husband, that when they got married, they ended up eloping because she couldn't imagine having a wedding without her twin sister there. So this really affected Jenny's whole life, even up to today. And of course, it affected her parents' lives too. And it completely destroyed them as well. I mean, they lost their daughter, but Jenny has been such an advocate to put Jody's killer away because this really was her other half. You know, being a twin is such a strong bond from the moment you're born. You're together your entire life. So this really, really destroyed her. Yeah, that goes to show you just how close they really were. You know, she's put in a place where she can't even imagine having a wedding ceremony without her twin being there. That's just so heartbreaking to, to hear about. A $20,000 reward was set up by the Lacornus, and police began investigating people close to Jody, but they weren't able to find any hard leads on her case. Eventually, it went cold, and after many years, Jenny got married and started a family of her own, but still felt that emptiness without her sister and would always try to come up with different ways to share Jody's case with the public. In October of 2018, Jenny decided to do something bold. She put up a billboard, and it was located on the closest billboard to where Jody was murdered, and it read, Find My Killer. It had a big photo of Jody, including her name, time, and place of death. 
the number for a tip line, and the promise of a $32,000 reward. Jenny got the idea for the billboard after seeing the Academy Award-winning film Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which is about a mother trying to seek justice for her murdered daughter. Jenny has been incredibly persistent with the leading detectives on the case as well as the local law enforcement, but she's been having a tough time breaking through. Since the case is still open, there's a lot of information that isn't being shared with Jenny or her family, so she actually decided to file a lawsuit. She's determined to find her sister's killer and doesn't feel as though the detectives are doing all they can to help, so she's trying to take things into her own hands. And Jenny's situation is pretty similar to three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. If you think about it, you know, police really aren't doing all they can. It's getting really frustrating for her. So what does she do? She decides to put up a billboard, same as the mother does in the movie, pressing law enforcement to step up to the plate and get things done. Yeah, and it was the billboard that really actually brought a lot of media attention to Jody's case. And so I really applaud Jenny for doing that because she has had so many different interviews with different podcasts and different news stations and just, you know, different TV channels. Like a lot of people are noticing this case and how horrific the details are and how disgusting it is that nothing is really being done. And so I'm just really proud of her for getting this out there. Yeah, she's really working her ass off. I mean, it's like another full-time job for her. She spends most of her time searching for her sister's killer. Jenny was telling me that there was this person in government or something, I think, and she was sending them letters and trying to get them to help her with the case, and they were ignoring her, and they weren't sending her letters back, and I think they had posted something on Facebook or something, and she replied to him and was like, do you want a billboard? Like, because he was ignoring her, and I just thought it was so funny. She just has this amazing sense of humor, and I told it to Heath, and he was like, you get a billboard, you get a billboard. <laughs> Straight up. She's a savage, and I, and I love it. I mean, she's aggressive, She and this is important. This is important because when things aren't getting done, like you have to be aggressive. And we and we uh, we see this in other cases too. Like if you're talking about the Alyssa Turney case, Sarah Turney works her ass off as well. And you know it's like nothing was being done in that case either. So really, I mean, you have to push law enforcement to get things done. I know. I told her on the phone that I wanted to give her a high five because, like I said, I'm just so proud of her for going above and beyond to try to get shit done. So DNA in Jody's car wasn't originally tested, and the license plate on the BMW was never discovered. There was, however, video surveillance of the parking lot, but since it was 1996 and it was snowing that night, the quality was very low and the snowflakes made it incredibly hard to determine what was going on in the clip, even with the new video enhancement technology. Police still have Jody's clothes, and there's newer DNA testing called MBAC, and it can take that DNA off of the clothes, and it's incredibly expensive. But the president of MBAC offered to test Jody's clothes in the best private lab in America, and the police won't do it. Their reasoning is because they know that people other than just the killer's DNA will be on it, so they don't want to question innocent people. And that's so frustrating because who cares if you're questioning innocent people? It doesn't matter. This is about solving a case. And if they have the technology to do it, I just don't see why not. 
And if you question the innocent people and they have alibis and they weren't actually a part of it, then they're going to be let go because guarantee there's more people's DNA on her clothes than just the killers. Because imagine someone hugging her or someone touching her shoulder or whatever, just being around her, their DNA is going to be on her clothes. But the whole point is to solve this case. So the fact that they won't do it because of that, even though the freaking president is saying, we will test these in the best lab in America, is like the most insane thing. So Daphne actually interviewed Jenny Lacornu Carreri to get some insight on what happened to Jody that fateful night. And we'll get into that after these short messages. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medications that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, just visit Juvederm.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volix XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment, no maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volix XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. With how busy our schedules are, Heath and I are constantly ordering food and groceries from DoorDash. It just saves us a ton of time when we can't run to the store for ingredients or don't feel like cooking and want delicious takeout instead. But delivery fees can definitely add up. And this is why we have Dash Pass by DoorDash. Dash Pass is an exclusive membership from DoorDash that gets you unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, as well as member-only deals and discounts. Which is why Dash Pass is the most affordable way to get anything and everything you need delivered right to your door, and fast, for just $9.99 a month. Which means DoorDash quickly pays for itself in just two orders on average. So whether you order every day or just a couple of times a month, 
You'll save with DashPass. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today only on DoorDash and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Heath and I are major sufferers of seasonal allergies. They are the worst. It can even be difficult to host this show when our noses are all clogged up. We have tried brand after brand, but luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. And big shout out to Claritin for supporting this show and providing us with samples. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. I feel like I sneeze all day long. I always have an itchy face. But now I can actually go outside in the grass and not have a sneeze attack or be stuffed up thanks to Claritin-D. Are you ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin-D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin-D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so that you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Mens rea is the legal principle of criminal intent. It means literally the guilty mind. Join me, Sinead, every fortnight to discuss Ireland and the UK's most heinous crimes and the court cases that followed. Do you want to know more about a kink killing in Dublin in 2012? Or serial killers in Scotland? Whatever your guilty pleasure, you'll find it and all the details with me. Find Mens Rea wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Aaron from Devil We Know, a single host narrative true crime podcast that gives you stories about the devils in your communities. I will give you insight on the criminals and the victims, all while telling you a detailed story. All you need to do is search for Devil We Know podcast on all platforms and hit subscribe. We do have a little fun on the show. We will listen to some bands and musicians, and I'll even give shout-outs to all my loyal heathens out there, like Charity from South Dakota. Thank you for listening to Devil We Know. Here's Daphne's interview with Jody's sister, Jenny. So who was Jody? What were her goals, favorite things to do, and what was she like? Oh my gosh, I love it. You know, we weren't one ones that were like, yeah, we're going to be like a doctor. You know what I mean? Like we didn't have, we were just like, let's have fun. Most people were like, what was her dreams? Or what I was like, oh, she just kind of lived in the moment. I mean, she was the nicest, sweetest, just heart of gold. She really cared about people and she was going to school at Towson State taking classes. She was studying gerontology. So I'm not sure, like, what she thought she was going to do with that. And I could definitely have seen her working with older people. And, I mean, she just, she was so kind, you know. I, I always remember this story about when she worked at this restaurant and one of the waitresses was like, I really like your shirt. And so he's like, do you want it? Like, I mean, she just, she just was so nice and fun and outgoing. So how did you find out that she had passed? The morning that I found out, I got up and called her. Saturday morning, it was, it was my parents' wedding anniversary, I'm sure you read that, and she didn't answer the phone, and I just got this, like, weird feeling, nothing that something terrible happened, right? Just like, why is she not answering the phone? It was just very unusual. 
So what kept me out in California was that I had gotten engaged. My parents called him because they didn't want me to be alone. So he came running in the door and just real shocking. Jody's dead. He was like, she was shot. Yeah, I, I just don't even know how to describe. Like, you just can't even comprehend. It's like you, what? Like, you know, you think it's something from the movies. Okay, so let's run through this real quick. Jody had been at the Mount Washington Bar in Baltimore on March 1st, 1996, and then she had dropped an employee off. And after she dropped that employee off, she went to the parking lot, and that's where she made some calls around 3.40 a.m., right? Correct, yes. The owner of the bar, and she talked to... Uh, like a bartender. She was friends with the people there and like, and one of the managers. I don't know if it was like two separate calls, but the crazy thing is the manager that she talked to, I learned years later committed suicide. That's so eerie because obviously that could be for a number of reasons, but just the fact that he was involved with Jody in some way and then that happened, that's just really strange. And I know that the owner of the bar originally refused to speak, which I thought was pretty strange as well. But I guess that could be for many reasons, you know, don't, didn't want to be involved with it. So eventually they did interview him and then did they discover anything strange? Not that they would tell me. So as far as we know, Jody made two calls that night in her car, one to the owner of the bar, and then who was the other call made to? She had moved this girl that she waitressed with, this girl in with her, for a while. And then the girl moved out, her name was and then moved in with her boyfriend, who was an African-American and was a cook at like Fridays. That was the other, one of the other calls Jody made. She called their place, talked to the boyfriend for two and a half minutes, okay, never talked to I don't know how well she knew the boyfriend. So he talked to him, but they ruled him out from day one because they said he didn't drive. I don't know if it's because he didn't have a car or what. They did finally go talk to him two, three weeks, two, three weeks ago. Turns out he had his friend with him. So they, they didn't find that out 23 years ago. Okay, so that's all that we can say right now since this is an open investigation, but it's definitely an interesting lead. So another question I wanted to ask you, Jenny, is I'm a little confused about the details surrounding the man approaching Jody's car. Was her window down when he came up to her or did she roll it down to speak to him? Is that something that you know? I never was told that. All I know is they said that her window was rolled down. They think there was a conversation and then he like shot her from behind. And maybe she was like trying to get away from him. So they likely had an exchange of sorts and then she started driving away and he shot her from outside the car or did he go back into his own car and shoot her from there? Outside is what they, yeah, outside. He would have had to have had the gun in his hand when he approached her car then, right? That's a good point. Why would somebody just all of a sudden shoot somebody for no reason? I mean, I guess for drugs or something. So do you think that she had drugs? Well, I mean, like we did a little bit when we were younger, but alcohol was like her drug of choice. And I was talking to her every day. She was full of anxiety. She met, you know, people like, oh, cocaine or something. I mean, I'm not saying that she didn't do it when she was in high school, but like she was like such a basket case, like anxious. Like the drinking, she thought was like humming her nerves, which, you know, just makes it worse. She she would not, I don't think, unless she was like at her wits end thinking, oh, this is the end with my boyfriend and I, I'm just going to go do something. But what everybody has said, that bar is known for drugs. Like she was there all night. If she wanted drugs, she could have got them there. She is so terrified. She never would have like gone to some random person and bought drugs. But there was no drugs in her system. 
I mean, it's just, it's so odd. So I want to go back to the owner of the bar. Did she go to this bar a lot? And how do you think that she knew the owner? I just thought it was weird that she called around 3.40 a.m. or so, because you'd think that the bar would be long closed by then. Like the time frame, like are they telling, are we getting the whole time frame? We only go by what they tell us because we've never seen anything. So we don't know what time she actually made the calls in relation to her death. We just know what time she died. Right, right. Well, from what they tell us, we've never been able to see anything. Sorry, back again to the bar owner. Do we know what his relationship was like with Jody? I know she had a bit of a crush on him. She liked to go to this bar. You know, she felt comfortable. It was close to her house. She felt comfortable being there, driving there. It's like a, a local bar. What did you think of Jody's boyfriend at the time? Because I know that the night that she was killed, he told her not to come home. So did you get the sense that he was a good guy? We thought he seemed like a nice guy, but we didn't talk to him for like 17 years. We kind of just like separated from him. He got married and had kids. Never in my like heart did I think he did it. So I reached out to him like a couple years ago when I did the Crime Watch Daily show. I hadn't talked to him in years. He did that show, but he covered himself up. He didn't want his face to be shown, like they interviewed him. The police didn't seem to think he was a good enough suspect in the beginning to really look into him, but did you talk to him at all, and did you get the sense that he was involved? You know, when we talked to him later on, he would talk about the guilt that he felt, like, for telling her not to come home. I mean, he was at a school dance that night, and then he was asleep. So he doesn't have an airtight alibi necessarily, which, I mean, makes sense because most people, I would say, are sleeping at 3.40 in the morning. But did they have a pretty good relationship? Because I know that they lived together, so it had to have been at least a little bit serious. I mean, they were pretty serious. They were together. I'm just saying, unfortunately, they had that issue between, you know, that they both should not have been drinking. He liked to be home and then, you know, have a drink and be home, have a few drinks. And she liked to go to like this bar and be with her friends. Like I guess she was on a path of not drinking and then she went out to the bar the night before. See they got into that fight Friday morning. So March first. Yeah. So it was that Thursday night. She was at the bar and he was mad. So then that Friday morning he said, Don't come home. Then at that time she was working at Eastern Savings Bank. So Jody was out Thursday night drinking at a bar And then that's what her and her boyfriend got in a fight about on Friday morning. And he told her not to come home. So she went to work that Friday and then she didn't go home after. And then she went to the bars all night. That's a good question. I don't know if she stopped home or not. She probably would have gone straight to the bar. But the whole thing that's so odd is like she had so many friends and she had so many fears. Like for her to not, like if he told her not to come home, Like, we just don't know why she didn't make a plan to go somewhere. So her spine was severed and she kept driving. Did they have any, did you see the autopsy report on this? We have never been able to see an autopsy report. Nothing. I mean, and that's why I'm getting so frustrated. We're told she severed her spine, but she was able to drive after she was shot and her spine was severed. And that's why I was like, How is that possible? So even though your family, they won't release the autopsy report to you? Uh, They're saying that, you know, because it's an open investigation. But they told me that her case was sitting in a closet. If there's video surveillance, the man more than likely put his DNA in the car and there were witnesses. How is this not solved? 
six people, they say. Six people, they saw him reach over her body, put her car in park. I mean, they saw so much. I mean, none of it makes sense. As long as I'm living and breathing, I will be searching for justice for Jody and looking for her killer. Thank you, Jenny, for answering all of our questions and being a guest on the show. Now we're going to get into some theories about what we think might have happened to Jody. So the biggest theory is probably the robbery theory. And that would mean that she was just happened to be sitting in this parking lot and this man came up to her car and either tried to make sexual advances at her or just tried to, you know, pretty much threaten her so that he could take her money or whatever it was that she had. And then she started to drive away and he shot at her because maybe his identity was then compromised or he was very upset with her or whatever. And it was totally random. What do you think, Heath? I think it's very possible that this man could have had a very fragile ego. And if she had been drinking, she probably had a lot of courage. She probably told him to screw off. And when he went back to his car, he turned around, shot, didn't think anything was going to happen. But then when he saw her car kind of veer off, it's possible he went up and reached in and grabbed her purse because her purse and her cell phone, because we know that her purse and her phone were missing. But she had made calls that night, so we know she had her phone on her earlier. The thing that stands out to me is the fact that he had a BMW and she had a Honda. So unless this person stole the car or maybe they had the car when they had more money and now they need money, so they're going to rob a random little Honda in the middle of an empty parking lot. It just seems a little far-fetched only because it's not like she had a flashy car and it's like, obviously this girl has money. For him to just go up to her window and potentially ask her for her money, he has no idea if she even has any money or anything of any value. And so for him to kill her over it just seems crazy. And that's kind of the reason why it leads me to believe that he may have been trying to sexually assault her in the first place. But she may have just driven off too fast. He got a lucky shot in because we know that he only fired one shot and it literally went through the driver's seat, severing her spine. And I think at that point, maybe he was thinking, all right, well, I didn't get to sexually assault her. I'm going to drive up there, grab her purse and her phone and then take off. But that's also a really confident or a really stupid person because if you're going to do this where there's witnesses, I mean, these people are across the street, but obviously they saw this happen. So if you're going to do something like kill someone, you're going to make sure no one's around. But since there are people around and this guy watched her drive across the street, drove his car up to her car after a loud gunshot had gone off seconds earlier and then get out of his car, reach into a dying girl's car, take something and drive off is like super ballsy. Oh yeah, absolutely ballsy. But we also have to consider that I don't believe that it was a hit because, I mean, if you've watched any movies or any TV shows that have anything to do with hitmen, they're really not willing to take that chance. Usually it's very quick. You know, he could have either driven up beside her car, shot her and took off. I just don't see him being this kind of smart, savvy, hitman-type criminal. As true crime listeners, you're aware of the dangers out there in the world. So why not keep your home as safe and secure as possible? Daphne and I do this by using Simply Safe. 
for award-winning security and peace of mind wherever your summer plans take you. When we get ready for our summer trips this year, I will feel so much better about leaving the house knowing that Simply Safe has our back, just freeing me from my constant anxieties. And also something I love is that their system blankets your entire home in protection from break-ins to fires to floods. And with indoor and outdoor cameras to choose from, you will feel safe any time of day or night. And Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring agents to help stop crimes in real time. Which is part of why they were named the best home security system of 2024. Simply Safe has given us and so many listeners real peace of mind, and we want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash going west. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We know you guys love a good mystery, especially one with twists and turns. Am I right? This is why you guys are going to love June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker while she tries to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder in the roaring 1920s. In this hidden object mystery game, put your detective skills to the test. While you're on this quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret, you can customize your very own luxurious estate island and let your imagination run wild. Daphne and I actually love to play this game together because you can chat with and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. It is truly so much fun. You guys are going to love it. So what do you think? Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Well, that goes into our next theory that she was involved in drugs and she owed money. So somebody sent this man to kill her. And I completely agree with you on that hit because I was talking to Jenny and she was saying how a lot of people think it's a hit. And even I at the time thought it was a hit until you're saying that, yeah, a hitman would have just killed her and left. They wouldn't screw around. They would just kill her and leave. That's their mission is to kill, not to get out and talk to her and then go over and take something from her car, you know, unless they needed to take her money or her drugs or whatever she had. But they wouldn't have been so out in the open about it, I don't think. Yeah, definitely. And I think that the theory of the drugs thing, I think the reason why a lot of people think this may be plausible is because we know that she made a phone call to her ex-roommate's boyfriend, which we don't really know much about this guy, but that could have something to do with it. Well, he was a drug dealer. So again, I also think that if she was going to get drugs, she would have gotten them at the bar because that bar is so known for drugs. And I actually saw something on Reddit that said that the Mount Washington Tavern is associated with multiple other deaths. And I just think that's really peculiar. So if she were needing drugs that night, which Jenny said she wasn't a druggie, she was an alcoholic, but let's just say that she was looking for drugs, I don't think she would have done it by herself. I mean, I picked up weed when I was in high school from a stranger's house once, that I, a number that I had gotten from a friend, and I made two of my friends come with me in broad daylight. I, so I don't see her just going in the middle of the night and meeting a complete stranger for drugs. Drug dealers are dangerous. Everybody knows it. Yeah, definitely. And that's, yeah, that's definitely a scary situation, buying drugs at, you know, four o'clock in the morning in a dark parking lot. A little sketchy. 
And a drug dealer killing his customer, that's kind of a bad drug dealer. Also, the police don't think that drugs were involved in this. I still think that they think that it was a random robbery, but they don't think there was drugs involved. And like Jenny mentioned, there was no drugs in her system. So it just doesn't seem as likely to me. There are a few suspects in this case, but so far they're not holding much weight. While watching Jody's feature on the show Crime Watch Daily, they find a man who used to attend the Mount Washington Tavern. He remembers Jody's case and told the host that his friend once overheard a conversation of some guys talking about how Jody owed money to a drug dealer. When they talked to the man who overheard the conversation, he confirmed this and even gave the name of the man slash drug dealer who he believed she owed money to, if in fact that was true. When they did some research on this drug dealer, they found that he was facing drug charges in prison. When police were informed of this potential lead, they supposedly shrugged it off because he was already behind bars. Which is such BS because don't you want to solve a crime? Don't you want to, you know, put this case away and stop having it open? I mean, it's in your county. Don't you want to close as many cases as you can? And also, they didn't even check to see what kind of car he had. And the guy who gave the name said that he always had a different car. Yeah, that's kind of a sketchy detail in itself. And like you mentioned, who gives a shit if he's already behind bars? It doesn't matter. People get convicted for murder charges who are behind bars all the time. And he's in prison for drugs, so he's going to get out someday. Yeah, exactly. And this is about the family finding justice. It's not about, oh, well, he's already in there, so why bother? It's about the family having closure. Steve, who was Jody's boyfriend at the time, says the last time he saw Jody was right before they both left for work on the morning of Friday, March 1st, 1996. Later that evening, he attended a school dance fundraiser at Boys Latin School in Baltimore, and he didn't get back to his house until 12.30 a.m. When he got back to the house, he noticed Jody wasn't there. He knew she usually got off work at 5.30 p.m., so he suspected because of their conversation earlier that she was probably at her parents' house in Annapolis, Maryland. Like Jenny said in the interview, he interviewed on Crime Watch Daily, but he requested that they not show his face or give his name. And I just wanted to let you guys know that I did try to find this video online, but I didn't find anything. So I'm not sure what he said in his interview. Even though him and Jody were in a fight, we couldn't find a reason that he'd want her to be dead. So it's kind of hard to make any accusations against him either. And I just want to clear something up for you guys. The perpetrator was described as being a African-American male and Steve, Jody's boyfriend at the time, was Caucasian. So that kind of rules him out right there. It's weird to me that there are supposedly deaths associated with the Mount Washington bar. And I think it's very suspicious that the owner refused to speak to police early on in the investigation and that the manager committed suicide seven years after Jody's death. So obviously his suicide could have been related to a number of things. And I don't know why they would want her dead because they seemingly liked her and were friends with her. But maybe they weren't involved but knew who was and were afraid to snitch. But there's just a lot of suspicion to me surrounding that bar. All in all, it's very hard to pin this on anyone because there's just so many questions. 
Why was Jody sitting in this dark parking lot alone in the middle of the snowy night? Why did she roll down her window to a stranger? What was taken from the car? And why did someone want Jody dead? In my opinion, I think that Jody's perpetrator was an unknown suspect. I don't think that Jody knew her killer. If anyone has any information, please call the Baltimore County Police Department at 410-887-2222. Or if you'd like to submit any anonymous tip, contact Metro Crime Stoppers at 1-866-7-LOCKUP. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West. This case was really special to do because the moment that I reached out to Jenny, I just felt for her so much and I loved the chance to get to know her and get to know her sister's story. And I look forward to the day that we put the killer in prison. And make sure that you share this episode with your friends and your family. And also go follow Jody's sister, Jenny. Her Instagram handle is Jenny underscore Carreri. That's Jenny underscore C A R R. I-E-R-I and you can follow this case from her. And as always, make sure you check us out on Instagram at Going West Podcast. And check out Heath on Twitter at Going West Pod. And definitely make sure you go over to our Facebook group, Going West True Crime. It's starting to grow and we're getting some conversation going over there as well, so that's pretty awesome. Yeah, let us know what you guys think about this case. Comment on our social media. Absolutely. So for everybody out there in the world, keep it real and stay weird. Cheerio.